Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door or someone from a far-off land. The point is she's deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of user experience design and research. Hi. Hi there, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for um, coming on this show. I know before we actually got started, we had some discussion about anonymity. Mm. What's your view on anonymity? Were you... Refreshed. Well, no. So I felt refreshed and also, um, you know, quite surprised. Not pleasantly or unpleasantly, but just surprised because um, I've become aware, I suppose, of the importance of actually sharing and um, maybe, um, you know, being less anonymous um, when talking about these subjects, um, you know, such as you know women in STEM, etc., or, or in roles which tend to be sort of dominated by by men. So I yeah I was surprised when I when I got your um, your email about um, you know kind of protecting my identity. And on one hand, I thought it was lovely actually, and I can imagine that um, other women uh, might find that very valuable. But for me, it sort of um, kind of made me think about the importance of stepping out using your voice and and sharing and I find actually by um, having a voice it doesn't always mean being popular but it does actually make an impact and in and sort of um, helps other people. Why do you think women need a voice in STEM? So I think um, so I think that there's a there's stereotypes everywhere and I think in STEM in particular um, when women get to a certain level um, within a business or striving to get to a certain level of seniority, there is this um, sense of um, um, there, there's a stereotype, I guess, about women in STEM, which is that um, they are oversensitive and that they overcompensate because there is a disparity between what men and women are paid still and also how, how they're treated. And um, as I mentioned, having a voice um, doesn't always make you popular. And I think being a woman and a female leader within business um, can leave one um, feeling at least very unpopular. Um, uh, you know, I, um, I was once told by um, somebody you know, that, that I was working for, and it was on my first day, that I should be prepared um, for an office full of men. And I quote... Um, you know, you're not one of these women that um, overcompensates and is oversensitive, are you? Um, and I and um, and that left me quite shocked. And so I, I think that 
in some ways it's really important um, for women to continue using their voice and to feel they have a voice in STEM. But I can also understand how valuable it, it, it would be for someone to work with someone like yourself who is willing to protect their identity because they are fearful or worried about not being able to be open for the fear of being un- unpopular. Maybe some find it harder to open up than others. I mean, the same applies to men, right? But your podcast is about women in STEM. Mm. And maybe women would feel that they can speak more openly if they don't have to worry about um, repercussions, you know, when they go back to work or, you know, that that sort of thing. So I suppose it just depends on who you are. <laughs> I mean, it's such a complicated, deep and layered situation um because i feel you know that women in stem have really had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get to where they are in stem careers why is having a voice important for you um i think it's more the essence of um um you know having your voice taken away so I generally, with, within, you know, the user experience design community, I'm well known for being, for, for being disruptive. I use that word instead of controversial intentionally, um, you know, but, but generally going against the grain, um, not following the crowd, using, you know, thinking and then using my own voice to sort of, um, you know, put things out there that may not always be popular with other individuals that are considered to be thought leaders within the industry. I see myself as an um, individual in business who happens to be a woman and therefore may um, face um, some further obstacles than if I had been born, you know, a man. So am I angry? Not really. Am I frustrated? Yes. Can I definitely say that I've had battles and they, uh, yes, absolutely, I've had battles, but can I definitely say those battles have been as a direct result of being born a female probably because it's 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 really hard unless somebody says to you you're going to be treated differently because you're a woman it's very difficult to you know you, you there's no empirical evidence well definitely not in my case female or otherwise give us a sort of a visual of um your career environment so currently um it's exciting um, and challenging. I'm a problem fixer um, and I like problems clearly. (laughs) Um, It's motivational. Uh, I spend a lot of time um, trying to convince very senior people to at least try to understand the value that you know research and user experience design can bring to their business. So a lot of what I do is I work with you know startups have a pot of money and want to be able to get the best out of out of that money um, in a short time they have perhaps for future investment um, and to, to research design and build um, a product or service that we can feel people really want so applying a user-centered design approach but one of my favorite um, roles I would say is working with the businesses who um, are Um, still adhering to legacy systems and processes which um, are old they're not employee centric they're very user centric they're not employee centric so they're hiring you know fantastic talent um, you know in the in the field of user experiences on research but finding it very difficult to retain them because um, they're not particularly employee centric 
and a, a big part of what I do is about um, you know people um, and process and then product versus just looking at the products and making them better talk about you know businesses transforming from the inside out and it is you know very male dominated and I try to not um, nowadays focus too much um, on my gender because I feel that um, it doesn't really doesn't really do me any good um, to go in and think that somebody of an opposite gender might be able to do a better job. I just feel that it doesn't put me in the right frame of mind. Um, but you know, as I said, there's been lots of battles that I'm convinced um, have had you know to do with my gender. But I suppose it's something that you look back on rather than um, feel in the moment, unless it's completely obvious. Okay, so I'm getting the impression um, that the career you're in is male-dominated, but as a woman, it doesn't serve you to focus on that. Yeah, I would say, so user experience design and research, or better known as UX, um, you know, there are aspects to that, such as research, and there's a lot of women in research in the way that there's a lot of women in marketing, for example. And in some ways, one could argue that, um, you know, there's not enough men in UX that um, are interested in or do research. That's another podcast altogether. But but yes, you're right. It doesn't serve me any good to go in um, and to think about it on a day in, day out basis. Is that something you've learned over the course of your career? Or have you always been that way? Of kind of just remaining gender neutral in your perspectives in some ways my experiences probably have conditioned me into feeling like that because I've worked you know for um I've you know I've worked for a business who um would very much um tell me that if I was to be perceived as sensitive or whiny I seem to remember then that would directly impact you know what I would, what my bonus would be that quarter. So when I think about, you know, when I think about your question in more detail, more thoughtfully, there is the potential that I have been conditioned into just switching off and becoming detached from that side of things because I've not seen it as serving me any, any purpose. Switching off that side of you, is that kind of denying uh, a very valid part of your personality? I'm used to being a bit of a chameleon in general because that's how um, you know I, I do my job, and I think that a good researcher is both inquisitive and also has amazing listening skills. And listening, listening means listening means doesn't mean talking or kind of yeah, it just means adapting, I suppose. Um, but it's in my it, it, in my general personality personality to be. Um, you know, relatively um, uh, extroverted and outgoing and energetic and, you know, 100 words a minute. Um, and in an environment, perhaps that's a more corporate than another. Um, and then I think, you know, some of the best working environments are where you can be yourself, but most importantly, where people accept you as you are. Even if it doesn't quite fit, you're accepted for who you are and you're accepted on the work that you do. Yeah, it's interesting because you may be touching on a massive 
um, raw nerve there, which is, you know, can women be accepted as their whole selves in STEM fields? Possibly not, actually. Because if we are sensitive and we are more emotional than men, we perhaps have to turn that side of ourselves down to be in STEM fields. I mean, I wonder if that is generally the case. Has that been your experience then? Well, I mean, I think the thing is, there are some women who would say that they are less emotional and less sensitive than men. It's just that society has conditioned men to not be sensitive and not show emotion. So, um, I, I, you know, that's a difficult question even in itself. To, you know, when you mm. have that question, but, you know, are women, are women more emotional and are women more sensitive or is it simply that men are not able to be sensitive enough and men aren't able to show emotion or, or they're not emotional enough? Well, I think it's such a complex kind of issue because perhaps women are more emotional. Perhaps it's completely wrong to be categorizing men and women as being emotional or not emotional. The question I think is, does STEM allow you to be emotional? But I think there are some industries that really welcome that and some that don't. But what's interesting is that your industry being user experience, I would have thought the whole concept of experience requires empathy. Businesses who want to transform and become more user-centric need to design for emotion. And they spend thousands of pounds, um, you know, a week because, you know, UX people who know what they're doing are, are, are you know, expensive. You know, we, we cost some money. These people sit in an, in an interview and they were told that, you know, they want to design for the, to become human-centered and design for the person and design for emotion. You know, you, you know about sort of um, subconscious bias and, um, you know, designing for cognitive dissonance and all these things you know designing for really behavior um yet is there room for um they they them the team to actually show emotion as you know is is there room for the individual to show emotion in the workplace um and i would say that it, it again it really does depend on the type of organization you work with you work for you know the man or the manager that you have um i think is more to the point. People find it very difficult to still talk about how they feel. Um, and we spend many hours at work, you know, more time than we do with our spouses, with our children, with our family and our friends, doing the things that we we volunteer to do um, versus, you know, going to work and, and, and for some need to do. Um, and yet we have to sometimes shut ourselves off. I wrote an article called... Um, you know, and I'm telling you this because I don't mind my um, identification being shared, as you know, um, called What I Learned from Crying in the Toilets at Work, you know, and and um, and I'm not ashamed to say that I used to cry in the toilets at work, but I think it's sad that I had to be in the toilets. And what were you crying over? Well, I'll be very honest. I remember that. I mean, it was um, a number of years ago. It was sheer frustration of going on holiday, coming back and finding it's silly now when I think about it, but finding that a team of people had redesigned this terrible experience on a on mobile, um, despite the fact that I had submitted research with empirical evidence of how this should be, you know, laid out, and I'd come back and everything had been disregarded. Mm. And I just remember feeling 
completely overwhelmed and tr- I think I was crying out of frustration. Yeah. Uh, I think interestingly, you know, I I didn't walk off, you know, quietly to the toilets to cry. I think I was visibly upset and then had to go to the toilets to cry because I didn't want to sort of break down in front of everybody. So what did you learn? What I learned was that you try and um, get your voice heard and you try and solve the problem and you you revisit it and revisit it until you get to a place where you realise that it's impacting, you know, your happiness. And if you're not getting up and looking forward to going into work every day or at least not dreading it, then it's probably time to find somewhere else that will allow you to have maybe make your voice heard. It's sad that, you know, nobody feels they can do that. And the reason is, is because at work, um, everybody's got a different agenda. Um, nobody at board level has committed to a vision. And if that, they have a vision, then the rest of the business tend to not be aligned to that. So everybody's out for their own at work rather than all working towards a common good. That's what I've actually, and that there are a few businesses that do do that. So now you are able to show your emotions, show your sensitivities and have a voice, it sounds like. I think that I've just accepted who I am. You know, I think that comes with age. Per- personally, mm. that has come with age. Um, I'm also a parent and that for me has been pivotal because I've just grown. When I say thicker skin, I don't necessarily mean I'm less sensitive and I still care what people think and that's nothing to be ashamed of. But I think that I am better prepared for, um, you know, not everyone being on my side. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I just expect it now. In some ways that's quite sad, but it's just the reality. I don't feel like I have to, <laughs> I don't feel like it's really important to me that everybody likes me, um, you know, or that everybody's kind and that people aren't mean but now I, I accept myself um, and I've realized that actually the what I've learned really is that the more I have been myself and the more I have drawn upon my personal experiences the better my work has become the more work I have won and the, uh, the, the bigger impact I make on, on my clients because I draw from those experiences I have and try and bring them into their businesses so so it's left me vulnerable but um I don't feel afraid of that anymore do you think all those lessons that you've learned are gender specific or do you think everyone goes through this similar learning curve I don't think everyone goes through this learning curve because I think there are a lot of people who aren't like me and are afraid to be outspoken are afraid to um, push and push and push and push until they make themselves miserable. Um, I think that there are, I'm, I'm thinking because there have been a lot of comments that I think have been related to my gender and, and my ethnicity as well at work and lots of other things. And as outspoken and bolshy as I am or come across, I'll be very honest with you, I haven't, I've only escalated uh, one of them and confronted one person about them. The comment that was made to me by someone senior about being um, a female and not being oversensitive, I mean, goodness, I could have gone to HR 
it was my first day at work and I did nothing you know and that doesn't fit with my persona or doesn't fit mm. with who I am and so I think you know beneath all of this I'm probably it, it you know I probably think it's a battle that I'm not going to win um why ruin the rest of my um, career at an organisation when a comment was made to me on a first day? That's how I saw it. And I think if somebody said that to me now, I would like to think that I would have um, done something about it. What's driving you to fight through, to overcome these obstacles? Like It's quite cathartic for me. It's really therapeutic for me to be myself because... As I said, it's only been sort of the last several years that I've um, kind of accepted that it's okay to be a bit eccentric and a bit different. You know, I don't want to sound like, you know, you need to get your violins out. I had a very difficult um, childhood, very difficult, incredibly difficult adolescence. In some ways, my adolescence and school experiences were much worse than my childhood. And I had a really rough time up until, I'd say, you know, mid-20s. I'm facing 38 this year and it's only been I'd say the last 10 to 15 years that things have been much smoother for me so I am driven by you know I'm a type A person I don't want to waste time because so much time was wasted for me growing up so I don't want to waste more time so that drives me um I love being a mother um my children drive me I've got, um, you know, a boy and a girl, they're twins, um, and they're two years wow. old. Wow. <laughs> I think I'm a great role model for both of them. You know, my, my, my father is 80 and still works full time. When he came to the country, you know, he's, he and his family, they, they were, he was a baby, they were refugees. So I just feel really driven by, um, you know, some of their stories, um, wanting to... And I wouldn't say I want to make them proud. I think they are proud of me. I think, do you know what? My, my dad said to me several years ago um, that if you enjoy what you do, it's not work. And I just remember, I remember that. And I remember thinking, yeah, you know, I could just not play every day, but have fun by doing what I do. You know, like it, well, the word work doesn't really have very positive connotations. So I'm driven by enjoying what I do every day mm. and feeling like I'm making a difference but also you know I want to be a good role model to my daughter to show her you know I was working throughout um you know my pregnancy despite it was quite a tricky pregnancy um you know I, I I was thinking about what I was going to do throughout my maternity and I never really switched off um and also role model to my son of course but you know being a, a working a working mum I think is quite important I just feel that women have to take on everything. You know, not only do they have to push themselves so hard in careers as men do, but we also have this side to us that's nurturing and caring. And if we have children, you know, we really are drawing on that side of us. Um, and I just think, you know, my heart goes out to women that really try to balance both. I, I, I find uh, my heart goes out to women that are forced to choose, you know, my last client um, I was with for 10 months and that was completely remote and they were, um, I remember, a bit sceptical. <laughs> I'm laughing because I have a great relationship with the person I, you know, that, that um, I've worked very closely with actually and I showed him that you could, that you could, you know, work remotely and that it can, it can work. It, mm. it, yeah, women have to choose, don't they? It's really tough. And why should, they do. Why, why should we, why should we have to choose? 
why can't we, you know, um, why can't we be trusted to work from anywhere and be there for our families? Uh, you know, this is what I mean about businesses that are still stuck in the 1950s. I think that if you're forcing anybody, male or female, to choose between a work and life balance and things go wrong outside of work, either in a relationship or, or things fall apart, then you as an employer, you know, indirectly are, you know, have contributed towards that. Um, do you think user experience as a career is suitable for women? I would say I would say so because there are so many startups and generally I find startups tend to be a bit more flexible um, because they don't have rigid rules or legacy systems in place at the moment so um, you know and everybody kind of gets their has to get their hands dirty when you work for a startup and if you are a woman who has um, you know, skills in user experience design and research and those skills are niche and are needed then you should challenge that business to um, be flexible and say well if you want me here are my terms so I think a startup within you know UX design and research probably is most suitable for, for women um, and digital you know you you know if you're contributing to you know a digital product or service you could be based anywhere couldn't you you know, as long as you have connection and you're online and you've got Wi-Fi connection where you are, it doesn't really matter. I know that when I, I mean, I don't always work remotely. Sometimes I go and see a client and then, you know, come back, but I'm mostly remote. Um, and and I, I think it's silly for businesses to discount this as an option. The reason is, is because I know that when I'm working with somebody, especially in the early days where you have to build that new relationship, I, I overcompensate because I, I don't want them to think I'm just kind of sitting on my sofa mm. watching something and not delivering. They can't see me. So I will probably work harder. And I would, I would, I mean, this is not great for me, but I would give more hours than I suppose if I was forced to be in the office because I'm just find that I'm more disciplined because I really want to earn my stripes and earn that trust and show them that it can work. And so I think, you know, if you allow people that flexibility and allow them to have a work-life balance where they're not having to get stuck on, you know, a commute or if they're feeling really poorly, they don't, they're not going to come in and make everybody else sick. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? They're going to be more productive if they're refreshed and they can start work at nine but have had a shower at half eight or instead yeah. of half six or, half, you know, seven, they get a bit of a line. just makes sense. But, but businesses are are frightened to let go and so we're not quite there how would you describe user experience design and research like because it, it seems to be quite a new career choice yeah I mean people were doing it for a long time but they weren't calling it UX um so so for me user experience um of a product or service say you know let me ask you what was the last thing that you purchased online I don't know why but hair straighteners comes to mind do you remember does anything stand out to you about that experience yeah the promptness and the swiftness of the process it was like literally like three clicks okay and so how did that make you feel great I felt like I'd got the best product for my needs um I'd seen what else was out there I selected the right thing for me um I had reassurance of my choice because there were reviews uh, they already had my sort of payment details on 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 hand, and the whole thing was very quick and hassle free. 
So it's interesting you, you say all these things because it sounds to me that you, you have obviously, you know, in technology, a bit of experience of UX. Unless somebody has um, not a very good experience, if you have a seamless UX experience, you shouldn't really notice it. But it, it, it could be anything. It could be buying online. It could be, I don't know, um, walking into a shop and having a customer experience and seeing what that's like, you know, where you attended to. Um, were you able to um, find what you were looking for if it was a big shop um, could be ordering a ticket it could be anything so it's kind of like the touch point um, the touch points that um, a user or a consumer has with a product or service and um, one thing that I focus on is really ensuring that when you are designing or trying to improve the user experience or something that it is informed by what the intended user wants and not necessarily what the business thinks the user wants um, but you know for me it encompasses the usability um, the accessibility um, the content so you know the language and terminology used um, the user interface or you know the visual design and also um, elements of um, persuasion emotion and trust so what it is that um, you know helps us make decisions and how did you get into that? Um, I totally fell into it. So but several years ago, I did a law degree. And during that law degree, I, I signed up for something. Um, it was a usability study. Um, and I, for me, it wasn't, I didn't know what a usability study was at the time. But it was basically um, this letter, uh, this, this email that was sent out to a bunch of students. I was one of them that said, hey, do you want to make 70 quid uh, for a uh, 45 or 60 minutes of your time I thought yeah you know I'm a student I'll go and do that and um I gave my feedback and as you can tell I like to talk so they got their uh they got a lot for their money <laughs> and um and I walked off with 70 quid and I thought goodness me that was a lot of fun and both my parents are psychotherapists and so growing up, yeah having an interest in uh, in in behavior so I fell into it and I researched it. And after my law degree, I um, did a bit of work in fraud investigation for some clients in America, um, which involved a lot of research and profiling. And I used to put together these reports based on data and just kind of profiling and stuff and interviews. Um, and I think I was asked to attend another one of these. And so I just kind of, I don't know, I think I researched a bit, a little bit more. Um, and it was around that time I met my other half who also um, works in UX and so it all just kind of fell into place so I fell into it and I remember um, nobody was interested in hiring me nobody was interested in what I did because I didn't have a de an academic degree or anything and I fought and fought and fought and it was really hard for me to get to get here um, but I just did it I guess by proving proving myself and, um, and delivering um, and learning so I kind of fell into it but I had to fight to get anywhere. I'm wondering why you felt you had to fight in this particular field. In UX, titles mean everything. And I can tell you in my industry, titles mean more than um, the person and, you know, and, and merit. So I just fought and fought because I was, you know, um, in complete awe of some really um, great, you know, agencies some of which I've sat around very, um, sat around kind of very senior meetings and with some of the founders of those agencies, remembering how nobody gave me an opportunity. Um, and, um, and so what so what I ended up doing was actually um, just working very hard and, and applying myself um, to the problem, which was, well, you know, your website, your app is really crap. 
um, this is what you need to do differently and doing some free work which I would not by the way advocate for anybody I don't think anyone should work for free I had to do it though um, to really get somewhere and then say well you know now give me an opportunity and then talk my way in there prove something then you're only as good as your ne- as your last project and then I get another project another project and then I had a job title and then it was plain sailing uh, not plain sailing but it was just much easier than not anybody giving you an opportunity yeah I mean looking back through everything you've been through what would you do differently like if you were to advise um, a young girl sort of starting on her own journey what would you tell her well I would say um, that she should um, keep trying to get her voice heard um, she should also pick her battles but and keep fighting the good fight um, but if she's not getting anywhere after a good period of time then she should just monitor her happiness and um, apply elsewhere um, where she feels that she is actually making a difference and to somebody that hasn't got their foot you know in the door yet um, you know, link up with people like me on LinkedIn, you know, or, or elsewhere. I'm actually um, in the process of building um, a community called UX Voices, which will be full of um, um, UX professionals. Like you think about LinkedIn, but just for UX. Yeah, like community platforms like that to other groups. Um, follow thought leaders and ask questions. Why did you feel like you needed to set something like this up? Because there's no governance in this industry at all and there are a lot of people making a lot of noise including me trying to get their voice heard and I wrote a post asking the UX community if I was to design a product or service for you what what problem could I fix what would it look like and everybody fed in and and told me and I thought wouldn't it be great to house that under one roof where everybody could network and communicate. Yeah, because honestly, it's a field that I don't know much about, um, but it sounds really fascinating. But it doesn't sound like it's necessarily suffering from traditional sort of like gender inequality. It, it sounds like it's um, affected by just the fact that it's very new and doesn't have established rules. There were a lot of, um, you know, men who happened web developers, app developers, and there's a movement to get women, you know, to work um, um, or trying to make it more inclusive to women to, to have, consider a career in, in development. And in fact, in fact, um, there's um, an actual group that's gone worldwide now called Ladies at UX to especially address this problem. Is there any kind of competitiveness or do you tend to all stick together because you're a minority? I've worked in a lot of environments where there are mostly men, if I'm honest, so it's hard for me to answer. Is there competitiveness? Well, I think a lot of... So we do... Are you familiar with kind of working in lean teams and agile teams and scrums and that sort of thing? Would that no. make sense? No, so... Um, Generally, when it comes to delivering projects within my industry, um, you tend to kind of work um, in groups. So you might have somebody who's a designer, a researcher, um, you know, a developer, um, a project manager who manages everybody, and you know, content writer or something like that. Um, and you do stereotypically, like I said, find that women tend to be researchers. Generally speaking, there tends to be more designers that are men than women. I would say more definitely more men who are developers than women I would also say and also I find there are a lot of female project managers actually and I think about it but because people tend to be doing 
the same, uh, like a different role. I guess there isn't that level of competitiveness between women. Um, and I would say that it's so tricky for women in my industry to get to C-suite or board level that there's not even a chance to be competitive at all because you just won't have a woman up against you if you have the um, the courage to try and pursue um, your career up and go up the ladder. Mm. Which is quite sad, really. What does having it all mean to you? means that you're knackered because that's... <laughs> That's how I feel. Oh, I don't know. Having it all means to me um, having a work-life balance, earning what you want to earn, doing what you want to do, being able to raise your children, work when you like, um, living where you want um, and working when you want, I suppose, having it all means to me. And do you think it is possible to have it all? I think think for me, um, I will never feel like I have it all. Uh, because I'm never completely satisfied once I've done something and I've achieved something I look at the next thing to achieve so are there still things you want to do there are things that um, I would like to achieve within uh, at work Um, you know I'd say I'm very happy with my home life so uh, you know I can definitely tick a box there Um, very happy with my work-life balance and the friends that I've got, you know, and that sort of thing. But there are definitely things that, um, you know, I want to achieve. There are bigger things as well, you know. I, I like to campaign, um, you know, for, for um, you know, equal rights across the board, really. Gosh, there are lots of things, I think, that need to be fixed fixed there. But certainly with a career, um, you know, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not done. And how much has those past experiences you touched on uh, shaped the course of your career I mean completely because yeah I had to I relied on myself I can honestly tell you that nobody helped me at all Um, it was um, you know this isn't to sound arrogant honestly Um, but I didn't have any I didn't have any support or help from anybody so it's completely shaped um, where I am now, who I am, what I'm doing now, and it gives me immense pre- pre- pleasure when I'm able to help somebody else. Were there sort of pivotal moments that really sort of nudged your life in search- certain directions? Oh, yes. Um, really the support of my parents, I would say. Um, just the, you know, unconditional love for my parents and the support that I had from them through really difficult times, you know, I um, was probably born a sensitive child. I think, um, you know, I, I find it very challenging when my brother was born as well because I didn't have, you know, my, my parents' full attention. And, mm. um, you know, as a result of that, I, um, you know, had some emotional deregulation would probably be the best way of putting that, you know, throughout my childhood and growing up and I found things, I found, you know, um, social boundaries very difficult to identify um, and and I went to school and because I didn't because I had sort of a difficult start um, I think I also grew, grew up with a lot of stories and horrors from on, on my dad's side of the family unfortunately when they came here um, from Eastern Europe um, and were spon- you know, sponsored I said as, as refugees and I don't think that was very helpful if I'm honest 
um, growing up. I was very close to my grandma. She's an absolute hero. You know, she got my grandfather out of a concentration camp and they managed to manage to come here. And um, yeah, and, and my grandma lived actually quite a long life considering the stress she was under and the, the stress that, you know, my dad and, you know, her other children were under when, when, um, when we were in Nazi Germany. Um, and I grew up with a lot of horror stories. Um, mm. Dad that now I'm Jewish. I don't think really enough um, Jews talk about with this generation, you know, how tricky that, that has been, learning sort of those things. And if you grew up with stories, then, you know, you will know what I'm talking about. But that impacted me, I think, very uh, significantly um, and made it very hard for me to just contemplate, you know, um, build, building relationships with people. So by the time I got to school, um, you know, I was a bit different because of that and I was severely bullied. And that then made it even harder for me to, <laughs> to trust anybody. So it wasn't really until, you know, so I dropped out of school very young. Um, and my mum has always said that uh, one thing about me that stands out as what, what she's always known about me is that I'm a fighter. You know, um, when I was born, the first thing I did was I snorted. <laughs> it's like I kind of turned up, turned my nose up to the world and said, oh, my God, you know, I'm Oh, you brought me here? <laughs> Thanks for that. You know, so she always said I snorted and I've always kind of um, been determined, been determined to overcome all kinds of challenges that I, I, was, I faced. And I think, you know, then being bullied at school and not being able to know how to stand up for myself meant that by the time I got to 18, which is what, you know, they say um, is at the time that you would expect one to have had, you know, get get their sort of life together, or at least the the emotional, you know, element of um of, of who they are. Yeah, it didn't really happen for me. It was it was really tricky. Um, and and so I think when I think about pivotal moments in my life, there isn't one thing that kind of um suddenly made everything okay. I think it was just kind of having to adapt and learn. Um, the you know I suppose social social conventions and of course you know like I don't completely um, fit in um, even today and I'm am I at peace with that I am at more peace with it I'd say than I've ever been um, it's still you know tricky but I also can see the power uh, the power of being different and how that has impacted countless friends in my life because I'm such an open person and I'm so sort of like I don't really have a filter because <laughs> um, uh, you know I'm just very raw and you know um, and I bring that into into the workplace and I think the crying in the toilets bit if I bring myself back to that was because I had to find a way of being um, myself but within rules and regulations and within an environment that didn't quite um that didn't allow me to fully be myself because it wasn't seen as acceptable to be open and and you had no roadmap of how to be so it was kind of it seems like it was a moment where you're like I need to figure out how to navigate this yeah you're right there was no roadmap because I'd gone off the rails you know when I was an adolescent and it's I think adolescence is a very difficult time for, for most adolescents, you know, it's very tricky. I didn't really have a roadmap at all because I didn't really care about careers and I fell into UX 
I was just, um, it was just my, it's just, I think the reason why UX is for me and why I love it is because it's just raw emotion. And I, I tend to feel, find that I do that very well and very naturally because I, I just have a lot of raw mm. emotion still. It's fascinating. Um, what sort of age do you feel like you actually had a firm foothold within UX? Well, after university, in fact. Mm. That, that was when I, it took, it took me a long time, but I would say that's when I thought this, I'm going to really make something of myself here because this is all about experience and I've got lots of that. It's all about humanness. I've got lots of that. It's all about people. I love people. <laughs> I would have said that several years ago, but you know, I love people. I It's about being inquisitive and um um, being intrigued and asking questions I love asking questions it's about the power of why that I knew I knew it I knew that was for me right at the beginning um so yeah right as soon as I found out what the concept of UX was about and research in particular that's when I knew it was for me and do you ever struggle you know it sounds like you're very confident in what you do today but mm. do you ever struggle now with self-doubt and if you do how do you how do you navigate that? Uh, yeah, I do, of course. Um, I just Google the term imposter syndrome, which I think lots of women um, suffer with. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Where, who do you turn to or what do you turn to to overcome self-doubt? My other half, who's um, my best friend and is a great person to talk to, is my biggest fan, and we lift each other up. Um, I remind myself that there are, of course, going to be things that, you know, I don't know, but that I know enough to continue doing what I do. Um, I've got a great network and a great, um, you know, sort of, I feel like um, I've got people, I feel, who kind of follow me in this industry and they give me confidence. So, you know, um, I thank them. Um, you know, now and, and, and forever for doing that because of course you know I, I have I'm, I have self-doubt you know there's people I think this is why content um, is so important and terminology is so important when you think about UX because people um, words have an impact and make you feel emails have an impact tone of voice has an impact when and, and terminology has an impact on how you might feel or how it's perceived how how you know the receiver feels when when they when they read an email or you say something to them. UX is evolving and it's moving and it's you know the consumer um, you know is hungry. Like the big thing in UX now, for example, is voice. So how to design for voice. Um, once it was how to design for mobile experiences. So you know um, something on any device. Now that and then it was big analytics. You know how to use data you know these things come up and go um in, in our industry and i think that can be unsettling sometimes um but it's what i do is i just i just know that i know enough and that i um, am making a difference now and i'm going to continue to make a difference and i make the effort to keep up to speed with things that are relevant um and this hasn't happened to me for a long time but you know i used to have to really practice uh, mindfulness yeah, I mean, it's just been so fascinating talking to you. Um, first of all, I really resonate with uh, kind of your childhood experiences. Um, and I kind of, 
I do really feel like your drive um, to try and make a difference and to try and help people because you didn't have that experience growing up. I don't, I've always had this um, kind of assumption that UX is very sort of like C++ web development um, coding kind of aspect to it, but it seems to be so much more than that. And I, after listening to you, I don't know why more women are not in the industry. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I just love the emotion, I guess, the emotional element of UX, you know, and also just making things better. I've always just wanted to make things better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, 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 I don't know, you know, like, I used to be the collector of broken people, you know, when I was growing up, you know, friends, you know, just want to make them better. And, and, you know, I, I used to, you know, and even, you know, now I, I kind of feel like it's, um, it's tempting when people come into my life for the first time to try and make things better for them, their experience of life better, whatever they're going through, to try and fix them. I used to be a fix, try and be a fixer. And then you get to a, a point where you think, well, some people just can't be fixed if they A, don't want to fix themselves or don't know how to fix themselves or don't aren't open to understanding how to fix themselves. And I think the nice thing for me about UX is that you can fix things and um, there's the human element of fixing things, but it's got some limit. So you don't sort of get dragged down in the in the drama mm. yourself. There's no connotations because I'm, I'm, I'm not presuming, but I, I, I you know, I, I just wonder also for yourself, someone who obviously sounds like she likes to think and knows how to think properly. <laughs> Um, you know, you may have had people in your life potentially who, you know, um, you try and help and try and um, um, fix or or are there for and then end up, I don't like the term dragging you down, but end up having more of a negative impact on you and, and can't change or won't change or can't be fixed. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it's difficult, I think, when that happens. You just have to kind of draw a line and say, actually, that, that's enough. You have to be a little, you have to have, I think, very um, clear boundaries as to who you will have in your life. I mean, definitely now I'm, 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 a, I'm a mother, I would say, or a parent, mm. absolutely. And so it because it's in my nature to fix problems and to, um, you know, be in tune to the emotional aspects of things and how people are feeling and working together on that, you know, UX is, is a really fulfilling but safer way for me be, to be able to scratch that itch and to use it as an outlet, but to know that, you know, it's not going to have a negative connotation on me. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that it, there does seem to be space for women in this industry. And so it's encouraging for any women that are listening to this episode to know that there is a space for women in UX um, to be more sensitive and more emotional because I think generally STEM industries are not welcoming of that feminine side. I, I honestly, um, I would honestly struggle personally to hire somebody who um, isn't um, able to be sensitive or emotional um, or think about emotional within UX because 
I would struggle with it, you know, because you're just, you know, it's human centered and we are emotional feeling beings, you know. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the fine balance of kind of masculine, feminine energy. If, if you know, I don't know any other way of really describing it, but you know, so for example, in in my career, it was very masculine energy centric. It was very nuts and bolts and gears and ratios and, you know, things like that. Whereas what's interesting is that bringing a more, the typically more feminine qualities to this work is, it sounds like it's a plus. And having listened to your journey, it sounds like when you were, like, not that you regret being more on the aggressive side, but it seems like with hindsight that when you were sort of in that fight, uh, perhaps looking back, it didn't necessarily serve you. Yeah, I just think that <clears throat> I I thought fighting fire with fire would, you know, um, get me where I needed to be or what I, what I wanted to do. And I think I should have picked my battles more carefully. And I think that if I was a man, I don't think I would necessarily be saying that because I think people are much more accepting of aggressive men in business. Oh, he's aggressive. He's aggressive. He's a man. Oh, she she's aggressive. Oh, yeah. Well, she's probably overcompensating, and she's somebody's probably got her back up or something. I've hit upon an industry which really does straddle a lot of debate, you know, for gender equality and. Just, but it also feels like an industry that could be a fertile ground for allowing both men and women to have equality, because it seems to be an industry that really does appreciate very feminine tendencies of kind of sensitivity, like human behavioral awareness, things like that experience generally, but then it also has an extremely technical side. So on the one hand, it's like, you know, oh, here we go again, here's a very male-dominated industry but also there's a lot of hope that it could be an industry that will open more doors for women and actually appreciate what women can bring to the table. I, I would agree. And, and and I would say also, you know, um, back in the day, you know, nobody really thought marketing had a place um, at the table, you know, at the C-suite mm, table. Yeah. Now you have chief marketing officers. And I think that's really, that's really going to help um, UX because um, a lot of CMOs happen to be women. And, um, you know, marketing is not the same as user experience mm. design, but there are crossovers. And, you know, they work hand in hand quite often. Um, and I think by the very fact that there are a lot of female CMOs that have a place at the, at the table, that um, can only be a good thing for women who, um, because there's this new role, which is a chief experience officer, a CXO. And there are lot, lots of businesses that don't, um, uh, that there are still lots of people that don't think that that should be a, a C-suite thing, right? That, they, that, 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 you know, it shouldn't be a C, they shouldn't, that the CXO doesn't really exist or shouldn't exist. Um, and I think it's where marketing was, you know, several years ago. Um, um, and so that that's positive, and there are lots of CXOs, and and um, I think that there are a lot of them that are still men, um, because there have they've moved from design, 
but that gives that gives me some hope that many of them um, may become women in the future it feels like I've opened Pandora's box and I kind of want to like find out more about what it's like but for now it's uh, I'm hopeful for women in your industry because I think there's a place for them to grow and be appreciated which is not always the case in STEM careers so thank you so much well, no, but, but but thank you. And I was going to say, you know, you're you're great at asking questions and opening Pandora's box because I don't often talk very much about my early years experience because mm. I keep them in a box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely what I am able to provide is a link between anyone interested in getting in contact with you. I would be really happy to do that, especially hearing about your new platform. Um, that gives others a voice and so you know anyone that wants to continue the conversation with you directly um, can always reach out to me and I'll put you guys in touch Um, because I do salute you for supporting women who uh, maybe don't have the courage that you've shown to speak their truth it does it does take a, a huge amount of bravery to speak out and you're doing that and you're providing a platform for others to to follow suit. So if I can help in any way, um, I would be very happy to do that. Thank you so much. It's really, um, really kind of you to say. Wow, that, that was an incredible conversation. I feel like we only scratched the surface of the kinds of issues that a woman in STEM in an industry like user experience design can experience. I mean, I feel like it's an industry I don't really know, but yet I feel like it's an industry that could really be very welcoming and open for women um, who have technical knowledge um, and, and, and want to combine that with their sensitivities and awareness of human behavior. Um, there's been a lot to digest and I feel like any listeners who have resonated with what has been said today, who want to reach out to my guest and find out more, please do get in contact with me through my website and I will certainly put you in touch. And also, please do subscribe to Silence um, for more episodes along a similar vein. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week on Silence. Silence.